I became a senior pastor of a church when I was around 27 years old. And, uh, and I say senior pastor, it was because I was a solo pastor and I made everybody call me senior pastor. <laughs> Felt good. And, um, and so when I took, uh, the pastorate of this position of a, of a country church, I felt like I had some sweet spots in areas of preaching. Um, I loved to, to preach the gospel and to call people to repentance. I mean, it's the best news ever that you can be forgiven for all of your sin. Not only past sin, present sin, but future sin because God loves you and he died on the cross for your sin. It's Jesus. It's the gospel message. And I love that and I, and I, I like to preach that and teach that. I like to talk about apologetics and, and that, uh, to share with people that you have reasons to believe that what is in the Bible is true. That Jesus was a real person who died in uh, Jerusalem on the th- and on the third day he rose again from the dead. There is reason to believe that. I enjoy today as well preaching through books of the Bible and, and speaking to the culture that we find ourselves in and how do we live and make an impact in our day and age, are we to be people that are just to, to uh, resist and push away culture and keep our families behind closed doors and get in our little holy huddles? Or are we to be out in the world, mixing it up with people and creating new culture, Christ culture in the world? And secondly, I mean, the second one is what I would say we are to do. But one of the areas that I very rarely preached about was this matter of money. And I think there were a couple of different reasons behind that. First, I didn't have a lot of money at the time, and so I didn't feel like I had the experience uh, to talk about it with much authority. We also had a lot of debt, and that made it hard for me to speak with confidence. By the way, we have paid down a massive amount of debt. Um, But let me just tell you this, we still have student loan debt. I'm 40 years old, and we're still under the, 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 the weight of student loan debt. As the Bible says, we are slaves to the lender. So please talk to me, young person, if you're thinking about going to school and going to college and going to graduate school, which I did, and, uh, and I'll give you some advice, okay? Wabonzi. Go to Wabonzi. The second reason why I didn't like to talk about money was that I had witnessed much of the abuses surrounding this idea of money and and preaching about money and talking about money in the church. I grew up seeing preachers on television asking for money and then purchasing their private jets and talking to the little old grand ladies with their diamond cufflinks and their gold chains and their wives with a bunch of makeup on. It's funny. It's funny. You can laugh. This is my last Sunday, guys. I'm letting it all out. (laughs) And so you get turned off by this idea of people asking for money. And then even as in my generation, we grew up and the mega churches were just rocking and rolling. You know, those are the baby boomer churches, the the mega churches. And, And so a lot of people in my generation were very doubtful of the mega church and doubtful of these big, massive institutions, which just seemed like, um, they just switched regular entertainment and called it Christian entertainment. And now we got Christian things. And, And I was very doubtful of that kind of a, of a system where churches were spending much money, uh, seemingly just to make people feel more comfortable or to build bigger and bigger and bigger buildings for the facilities and for the maybe even the sake of the 
lead pastor who was building a kingdom for himself. And I always wondered, is that what Jesus would do? Now, I I don't want to try to pretend like I'm taking the spiritual high road here. I realize that sometimes it is necessary to build those things. It is necessary to have uh, good facilities and to take care of the things that God has blessed us with in terms of buildings and those things. But I'm just being honest. These are some of the things that I wrestled with when I thought about money in the church. And so I, I didn't preach much about it. By the way, this hasn't been the case here at Village Bible Church. By God's grace, we have been blessed by God and have turned that blessing over to bless others. Just think of it. This morning, right now, out in the town of Shabana, off of Route 30, our Indian Creek campus uh, is, is worshiping God and people are coming to know Jesus Christ. We just heard testimony of this recently. We just had baptisms of those people who have come for the first time as, as adults and said, I am a sinner, I need Jesus, and have received Jesus Christ by faith and are being changed. Pastor Phil out in Shabana has had an impact in the local uh, community schools. And he has been there through some very tragic events that have happened in Village Bible Church. We have been a part of it. At Aurora, the, the campus continues to grow as a diverse, multi-ethnic congregation that is actually translating its sermons live in the building into a couple different languages at this point. It's pretty amazing. El Camino, which meets in Aurora as well, it's the little campus uh, which has been through so much that really isn't so little anymore. And for the past couple of months, they've been pushing 50 to 60 to 70 people uh, speaking the gospel in the Spanish language, and now Plano. And this has to do with your generosity, our generosity as a church. We could hoard all the resources and continue to to grow and invest in this place and build bigger and builder build bigger and bigger buildings, but rather we are investing in other locations across the Fox Valley area. And that is a testimony of not only the leadership of the church, but also of the congregation, of the people of the church. And we are working on plans right now at the Plano campus to to make some improvements there and to get the facilities ready for guests. Village could have kept its best and brightest right here and continued to build right here. I don't, I'm not thinking of myself when I say that. We sent David Wood to the Aurora campus, okay? Now, if you were to say the most handsome, we'd send the most handsome away, then that might be me. Or the most physically fit, if I'm being honest. This message is about generosity, demonstrating to God and the watching world that we are trusting in God by our generosity. Church, you are doing it. Collectively, you are doing it, so great job. Great job. While we are doing this as a church, we have to be reminded of it as a regular, on a regular basis. Because we can so quickly, the nature of our hearts is to look inward and to be selfish, and so we need to be reminded of this. And just because your church is being generous, it doesn't automatically mean that you are being generous. So we will talk about it today. Don't get nervous. Sarah, grab your purse. The preacher's talking about money. Not in that way, but in a way that talks about generosity as from the heart. Do you know that the pages of Scripture are filled with 
verses about money and how we handle money and the generosity of our hearts. Jesus talked about money a lot. 16 of the 38 parables that he told had to do with money and and, and being concerned of how you handle the things that God gives you. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of every 10 verses deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, just about 500 verses on faith, and get this, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Let me give you some examples. Do not store up yourselves for yourselves riches here on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and robbers break in and steal. Instead, store up riches for yourselves in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and robbers cannot break in and steal. For your heart will always be where your riches are. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. It is useless, the book of Ecclesiastes says. Luke chapter 12. And he went on to say to them all, Jesus said, Watch out and guard yourselves from every kind of greed, because your true life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you, I will never abandon you. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot be a slave of two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So why is this the case? Why is money a reoccurring theme in the Bible? Money is a big deal in the Bible because how we handle it demonstrates what we think about God and what we think about ourselves. If you really want to get to know someone, look at their checkbook. In an accurate checkbook, which many of us don't keep today, we're learning through Financial Peace University, but if you look at an accurate checkbook, it is a reflection of a person's heart. Both its vices and its generosities are revealed in a checkbook. Matters of money are a great indicator of of your spiritual health, especially in the place and time we find ourselves. In our culture, it is. In other places and at other times, Christians have had to make a stand for Christ that would actually mean their own death, possibly. And in other cultures today, people face a, a loss of employment, a loss of honor, a loss of friendships, a loss of family members, a loss of many other things for believing and proclaiming that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again on the third day. When you live in that type of an environment, the wishy-washy and the not truly committed are easily identified. And this is part of actually the argument for the historicity of the resurrection. That these disciples who were cowards, who ran away at the the arrest of Jesus, now, sometime later, are out proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, each one going to their own death, not recanting that account. That is part of the testimony of the first disciples. And, And those are real disciples because they didn't go back on that truth. They turned from cowards into people who would turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we have different cultures and communities where they're having to give their lives. And it's really quick and really easy to see who the genuine disciples are. But in our culture here in America in 2018, the line between authentic faith and mere intellectual assent is blurred. It's tough to tell who the real disciples are. 
In other words, it's tough to tell the difference between people who truly believe in Christ and are following him and with those who say they believe in Jesus, but their lives aren't being transformed. Here's a way to see that line more clearly. You look at how generous they are. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 15. And as you're going there, uh, let me give you a little bit of background uh, to this letter. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. It is one of uh, two letters that we have in the New Testament written by Paul to this church. But it is clear from those letters that he wrote more letters, probably. Uh, For sure we know he, he wrote at least one more that we don't have, but he might have written more than that. Now the church in Corinth... Uh, was a messed up church. Say messed up. How messed up? Well, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Paul says this, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. And that's happening in the church and nobody cares. Things are happening in the church that would make the outside world blush. And yet it's okay in the church in Corinth. They also had conflict within this ch- in, in this church. And you see in the way that Paul writes to them, explaining uh, different um, things to do in different situations and how to even handle the Lord's Supper. They were messing that up. They were taking that in a wrong way. Paul tells them to repent of their sin, to, to, to cast out and to discipline the one that is, the, that are, that is li- living in sin with his stepmother and to turn back to God. To be the church and be generous toward the work of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 16, the first four verses, we see that Paul uh, just lays out a very practical way to start to give to the church. To systematically give. The first day of the week, come together, take a collection. And he just explains like the nuts and bolts of giving. Um, We're still passing the offering plate at Plano. Um, and uh, that's the nuts and bolts of giving. Pass the plate, put something in the plate. Don't pass the offering plate here. You can go back, the nuts and bolts, uh, you can put it in the box, you can go online, you can set up automatic. But then in this text, Paul gets to the heart uh, behind the practicalities of giving. And he goes deeper in it. And let's look now to Second Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. The point is, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. 
Let's start here. We show that we trust God when we are generous. In order to be generous, we must understand three words. First, grace. Must understand this word, grace. We are not generous because we have to be. He starts out the first truth in verse 6. He says this, um, We sow, and what we sow is what we reap. And this is not the prosperity gospel. This is a biblical principle that is true in every regard. Um, that we will reap what we sow. We will harvest what we plant. Our actions have consequences. Paul would write to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 9, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that which he will also reap. If he sows from his flesh, from the flesh, or if he sows to the flesh, from the flesh, he will reap destruction. But if he sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, he will reap everlasting life. This is the true biblical principle. What you do has consequences. What you invest in will reap a reward. What you plant will grow and then you will harvest it. So after this verse, verse 6, many people would be like, okay, well, now I've got to do this thing. I've got to give this much because that is what I'm supposed to do. If I want a big harvest, I have to make a big investment. So now I'm going to do it. I'm going to force myself. I have to do it. I have to give. Paul goes on. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So wait a minute. You're not to give because you have to. And don't give if you're reluctant. Many of you are like, oh, that's awesome. I don't have to give today. I'm a little bit reluctant right now. But that's true. God loves the cheerful giver. Proverbs 22 verse 8 says, God blesses a cheerful and generous man. This is not a legalistic demand. This is not part of the law. There is freedom in how you give. But the big idea is this. It's the second point of grace. We are generous because God is generous. The Apostle Paul then reminds the Corinthians that God, made, uh, that God is sufficient for all of their needs. God is rich in grace toward his people. Verse 8, you see it there. God is able to make all grace abound to you. And God's going to take care of his people because he even supplies the need of those who have nothing to give. Verse 9. So how does God make all grace abound to you so that you will abound in every good work? This is in salvation. This is in the cross. This is in his love for you. This is the gospel. And if you forget everything else today, just hear me on this point. That you are a sinner in need of a savior. And one day you will have to answer for your sin. And you can pay for your sin yourself. But it's going to take an eternity away from God to do it. But God has made a way for you to be forgiven. And while you still have breath, there's hope. And you haven't drifted so far that God can't save you. That he can't redeem you. And a matter of fact, you can't even earn his love. And you can't earn his grace. And you can't get him to save you. He loves you just the way that you are. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died on the cross for our sin when we were sinful and dead. And Jesus died for us. God made him who knew no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we can have the righteousness of God. So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you say, I believe you receive this gift, it's a gift, it can't be earned. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of works so that no one can boast. You've been saved by God's grace. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? Have you joined the Messiah on his team? It's the winning team. Jesus paid for your sin. Don't try to pay for it yourself. And so we want to understand this grace. And when we understand this, that it's not a work, that salvation isn't a work. It's not Jesus plus these things. It's only Jesus. It's only him. It's only by God's grace through faith. When we get to understand this and we get this through our thick skulls, we understand in light of the generosity of God to me, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give to others. I'm going to give to the Lord because I owe my whole life to him. And then things begin to change and generosity becomes something from the heart. And when you write that check, it's not with reluctance or compulsion or because I have to, it's because I want to, because I owe everything to God. God's grace. The second word to understand is this word stewards. A steward is a word that we don't use much anymore. A steward is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as an agent of another or others. We use the word manager. Verse 10, Paul uses this phrase that's interesting he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness so if we go out to eat to lunch afterwards and i'm sitting there with you and you're about ready to break bread i'm going to ask you where did you get your bread and maybe you said i made it maybe we're in your home that's better we're in your home i made it oh you made bread how many people make bread here It's a fun thing to do, isn't it? Incredible waste of time, but it's fun. That's what Stephanie says to me, my wife, by the way. I make bread, and she's like, you know, Aldi's got bread for like 12 cents. You can just go there and buy it. So you made your bread, okay. What did you make it out of? Well, my wheat. Your wheat? Well, who gave you the wheat? Well, I grew it. Keith Duff says, I grew it. He's got a backyard full of wheat. He grows it. I think. I don't know. (laughs) If you're new here, he's a a vegan, okay? And we love that. And our lead pastor makes pork chops and chicken. It just works out. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Okay. You you got your bread. You, You baked it. Good job. You made it with your wheat that you grew in your backyard. But who gave you the seed? We're just managers. God gives us all things. All things. And yet, we can be tempted to think, because of our hard work, and hard work is good, and because of our intelligence, and intelligence is great, but even the ability to work, and the ability to think, comes from God, who made you. 
The nation of Israel needed to be reminded of this in Deuteronomy chapter 9. So God reminded them of this very fact. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command to you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who brought you water out of the rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as to this day. Man, you got a good job? Awesome. Praise God that he gave it to you. You got a good house? Praise God. He's giving you a good house. You're renting a nice place right now? Praise God. He's supplied all your needs. You're, you're struggling paycheck to paycheck? Praise God. He's keeping you humble. He's teaching you the lesson that he gives all that there is. So that's one of the things about giving. We're going to give, and we're thinking that our check's going to really make a difference. And it's not to say that it doesn't. It does make a difference when we give, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's going to get the job done with you or without you. The question is, do you want to be part of it? The question is, do you have generosity in your heart, overflowing to participate in the thing that God has put before you? But we are like the children of Israel all too often, And there's a reason that they're called the children of Israel. It's because children very quickly forget that they're not owners. So go out to lunch then today. And take your kids or take your grandkids and and, and take them to their favorite restaurant. Take them to Chuck E. Cheese and slather them all up with that uh, antifungal gel or whatever because that place is nasty. (laughs) Take them wherever... And, uh, and you can order whatever you want off the menu. Do that, okay? Be generous today. The kids are like, Pastor Steve's a good pastor. Why is he leaving? <laughs> Go wherever you want. Mom, dad, grandma, take them. And then when the food comes, just excuse yourself real quick and go to the restroom and then come back and, and just go right up to uh, little Johnny and, and uh, just take one of his chicken tenders off of his plate. See what little Johnny's going to do. See what that little evil whipped heart is going to (laughs) say. Now, you might be blessed with kids that are like my middle kid, okay? And you just take that and he'd be like, it's good, Dad, thanks, have some more. But you might be like my other two kids, which are like the majority of all our kids, and they're going to say, what are you doing? That's my food, right? They don't understand this idea of being a steward. And and they don't understand that those chicken tenders are mine because I paid for them and you're only eating them because in my grace and love for you, I gave them to you. (laughs) But that's what we're prone to be like with the Lord, aren't we? That God would give us these things and so quickly we're the owner. And we sink our claws into the possessions around us 
And we think like the nation of Israel, it's because of my might and my strength and the work of my hands that I am here. Man, we're rugged, individualistic Americans. That's who we are. It's all God's. We don't own anything. We steward what we've been given. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16, the parable of the unjust steward. It's a story of a guy who owes like a billion dollars to his boss, to the to the master, to the one who owns all that there is. And he goes to him and he goes and he falls on his knees and he weeps and he says, I cannot pay this back. I cannot do anything with this. And the master forgives him of his debt. And then two weeks later, he goes out and he sees a guy that owes him 10 bucks. And he throws him in jail for not giving him 10 bucks. That is not a heart of generosity. That is not the heart that God calls us to have. Now this truth that we are stewards brings freedom. It does. It really brings freedom. Well, why? Because we are not defined by what we have or do not have. We are not judged by what we do or don't do. No, we are given great things by God uh, through our work. It comes through our work, and it, it is a part of our culture, and we get to invest those resources in a way that benefits His kingdom. There's a freedom to that. You're not defined by what you wear. You're not defined by the vacations you take. You're not defined... Uh, by your wealth you're defined first as a child of God through Jesus Christ that's who you are and God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty is going to allow you to invest in his kingdom and he's going to entrust you with some things in this life and we only have a limited amount of time to manage this stuff for God and so how can we manage it to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, to make more Christians. Because we want people to hear the good news, that they don't have to be lost, that they don't have to be on their way to hell, that they can be saved through Jesus Christ, that, that other people can come and their families can be healed. And, and, and the town of Plano can experience revival in Sandwich and Yorkville and Sugar Grove and Aurora. We only have a short time. I'm 40 years old now and I'm feeling it. I don't have many years like I used to. We get the steward. There's a freedom to that. Let's, do, let's live as much as we can for God and give all that we can for Him. Last word that we understand is hashtag that blessed life. If you type that in Facebook in the search bar, hashtag that blessed life, you're going to see some people who are thankful to God for what they've been given. You're going to see some people that love Jesus Christ, but you're going to see a lot of people who are living hashtag that best life by driving that best car and by having that best house. That best life, the blessed life, has nothing to do with the amount of wealth. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That blessed life does not have to do with the amount of possessions. The, the blessed life, the enriched life, has to do with generosity. It is better to give than to receive. 
That's a blessed life. That blessed, the blessed life has everything to do with stewarding what we have been given in a generous way. He goes on in verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. You want to live the enriched, blessed life, steward the stuff that God gives you in such a way that it's going to help others, it's going to, it's going to bless others, it's the generous life. And by God's grace, we give of our finances, whether it's benevolent giving. I could give you examples of of people at the Sugar Grove campus that have been blessed by your giving of benevolence offerings. People and families who have been taken care of in times where they really needed the help and you've blessed them through your giving. That's the giving of your finances. We're coming off a record-setting year with All In last year and to, um, to, to build up this body of Christ to be able to take on a new campus in Plano, that's a big deal. So you can talk about the big deal in both ways. It's a big deal that a group of people would come and sign over their building, their land, all of their checking accounts and savings accounts and say, it's yours, let's do this thing, let's be the church, we're with you. That's a big deal. But it's also a big deal on the other side because it's expensive to do ministry. And now we have another campus to think about and to be concerned about. We're a church now in five locations. That's a big deal, but that's the generous life. We're giving to God out of what we've been given from Him to make a difference for His kingdom. And that's an amazing thing. And we also give of our times, our time and our gifts, our service, being deployed, part of our discipleship model, to discover disciples, to develop disciples, and to deploy disciples. And we had a fantastic annual meeting on Friday night out in the foyer, and I had the opportunity and the honor to give a, 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 a blessing, a gift to someone in our church who uh, we called the Volunteer Spotlight. And it went to Rainey Abbott. And a lot of you might not know Rainey, but she's behind the scenes. And what she does is she lines up people for first impressions. She lines up people at the Welcome Center. She makes sure people are handing out bulletins. She takes meticulous notes. And she does all this because she remembered when she first came through this, these doors. And she was made to feel welcomed. And she experienced the love of Jesus in this place. And she thought, this is an incredible thing. This is a cool place. God is here. I've been, I've been ministered to. And she said, you know what? I can do the same thing. And, and I might not have all of, of the gifts or the abilities or the charisma, but I have some administrative abilities that I can plug those people into that place so that they, new people coming in, will feel the love of Jesus just like I did. And she has poured years into service to the Lord out of a generous heart. Generosity. God's grace is the foundation. It leads us to understand that we're not owners, we're stewards so that we can give of ourselves for the glory of God and for the sake of his name.